Hi, welcome to Almost Cooperstown. I'm Mark. And this is Gordon. And we love talking about baseball. I think it's interesting that now we've kind of entered an era in baseball where I could say, like, oh, this guy had a 3-4-5 line this year. And people would know what that means in the context of how good an offensive season that may or may not be. But now you're going to have to explain it. Right. So a 3-4-5 line is hitting for 300 average, having a 400 on base, and I think it's a 500 slugging. That's right. So really what, what that means is that the guy had an elite offensive season. It's unusual to have those kinds of numbers because a slugging percentage is probably the most difficult one for people that haven't really closely followed baseball statistics because batting average on base are Basically, pretty- slugging percentage is the amount of total bases by the total of bats. Right. So it, it, so uh, I think a home run is worth 1,000, and so 500 is like a double on an average. So that means when he gets a hit on average, you know, because when a guy gets a hit throughout a season – it's not always a single. It might be something else. So a guy with a 500 slugging, when he gets a hit on average, he's getting two bases or more on it. Right, right. And so you've seen that with guys like Ichiro in the past who will have incredible averages and on bases, but he'll have like a 300 average and a 380 on base or a 380 slugging. And what that really means is he's hitting a lot of singles, which is like great. It was great for Ichiro. Great for Ichiro, but you would never rank that as like a great offensive season of all time. Although there was that one year, remember, when Ichiro said, you know, I want to show everybody that I can hit home runs. And then he did. And he hit like 28 home runs or something and like that. And yeah, I don't really like doing that. I'm going right. to hit singles. But, but it kind of goes back to like, we had this year with Aaron Judge, him having one of the most elite offenses, offensive seasons maybe ever. Right. So Met fans, um, now just as an aside to you guys, you know, um, we don't love the Yankees. It's obvious. Neither of us picked the Yankees to even make the playoffs, so we have a huge Met bias. But we're going to rhapsodize quite a bit here about Aaron Judge and the season that he just have, which just had, because which may be one of the greatest, not maybe, is one of the greatest offensive seasons in the history of the game. I mean, there's so much that's going for it in terms of ranking it up there. First, he hit 62 home runs. Which is breaking the all-time single-season record for a guy not suspected of being on steroids. Well, it's the American League record. Right, true. (laughs) It's the American League record. It's also what people would consider the first clean break of Maris's. Some people would, at least. Yeah, so... We're going to get into that. Well, uh, yeah, absolutely, because you you can't can't. can't not get into it. I, I was just thinking, as you were saying, it's the American League record. At what point does baseball, sort of like football... Does the AL and NL records no longer mean that much because the leagues are more and more similar than they've ever been before? Uh, alert older baseball fans. We are already there. <laughs> right? Because, you know, if you think, nobody cares. You think of the, you know, the old AFL records and the old NFL records. Well, the a- old AFL was a passing league for the short time it was around. And so the records are different. The only, nobody cares about the AFC only big, versus NFC. The old, yeah. Nobody cares about AFC, NFC. And the only big difference there, the AFL was a different league that no longer exists. So I think American League and National League records would move a little more into relevance if like major leagues like just did away with like the entire idea of the two leagues and you just had the major right league. right the, the, the best home run. Aaron Judge was the best hitter in the major leagues. like if they year. just did away with right, the league right. distinction which I don't think they ever will but I, I think that's the only way it ever gets elevated because when we look at the MVPs the only thing that's nice about having the break is you don't have to compare guys from two different leagues that really didn't play the same teams for the most part I think that's where it's useful more than anything else. So, so you know, Judge, you know, a r- remarkable season, incredible to watch. We, we've talked about it before, um, and one of the great seasons of all time. Uh, but 
I don't like hearing it, and I think you're in the same camp, when, you know, well, he's really the true home run champion. Roger Maris Jr. going to all the games, you know, and it's like, it really, you know, everything else that came before it doesn't count. This is the true new record. Like, how does that, how does that elevate Roger Maris is my first thought when I hear that kind of, like, does that, how does that make Roger Maris better? Because he's still the home run king. Or he was life. the home run king just last week. Uh, yeah, <laughs> and that's why. It's because for another 20, for a season. For, you got to pretend for another 20 years that he was still the home run king. That's coming, why. Coming from the asterisk man himself, right? Roger Maris was Mr. Asterisk. They never actually put the asterisk in. They talked about it. I think it was suggested that we might put an asterisk in the in the rule book because Babe Ruth hit his 60 in 1920, whatever, seven, uh, in 154 games, and, and Maris hit it in 162 games. So we had eight more games. Oh, uh, they would have never done it if it wasn't for the eight more games. And he did hit it in game number 161, did, did Roger Maris of Tracy Stallard. But Judge, you know, did it in, in, in an era that, you know, there's testing for PEDs. So, look, we're going to end up in the PED discussion again. Uh, there's no definitive way to ever end this conversation, and we talk about it a lot because it, it, it has fans too focused in in my opinion on thinking you know that you know there's pure records and impure records and i'm not even going to give what i consider an impure record the light of day mm-hmm. i think that's it's just really unfair like the problem is, is that you can't really get into it without getting deep into the, the the steroid discussion on like whether or not well you know it wasn't against the rules of the time when guys like mcguire and sosa and bonds were doing it it wasn't strictly illegal so how can you really hold it against them if they were doing something that wasn't illegal at the time i i, I think more so what i have i think it's tougher with the older players because you look at the current generation players, what do you mean by older players guys that are no longer playing okay because you look at a guy like Fernando Tatis Jr., who just got dinged for taking steroids coming back from his injury, but he served his penalty. He was able. There's to, a there's a protocol. There's a protocol. He was able to be punished for his actions, and you could can and you can limit the time in which you definitively knew he was taking steroids to a particular point in time. You can't do that with guys like McGuire and Sosa and Bond. So you can only just look at the entirety of their career as somehow being painted by it. And we totally feel like Major League Baseball knew exactly that there was things going on in 1998 with the home run race between McGuire and, and Sosa. Uh, and then even through the time that Bonds played that, you know, he didn't get like that because he was drinking protein set shakes. You know, at the same time, there was no policy. It wasn't illegal. And had they made it illegal and had the policy and tested Bonds and McGuire and Sosa and all those guys and they came up positive they would have first got their 80 game suspension then they would have got their 162 game suspension and then they would have been banned for life so so that would have happened and they wouldn't be you know the championship players and there's a player right now who was probably about to retire who I think is emblematic of how it's different now right Robinson Cano mm-hmm. you know and, and and we'll get back to Aaron Judge in a second uh, Robinson Cano has had a Hall of Fame career on a statistical basis he is among the greatest second baseman to ever play the game and that's pretty unquestioned when you just look at his numbers i mean with the home runs and the, the average the, 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 average, generally- the defensive you know abilities um but because he was twice suspended for for peds now he's got that monic- you know i mean barry bonds you know move over because cano is the new and because he did it when it was illegal mm-hmm. like it's so now in the court of public opinion not only do you have a situation where can you find a way of looking at robinson and cano's stats and say they're not hall of fame worthy Actually, no, you really can't. But 
because he did it during the time it was illegal, there's there's definitely, a, I think, more of a reason to say, oh, I got a right. problem the, with the that. The problem this I had knew with was you're holding him out it. purely on ideological standards. Absolutely. And it's purely about, you know, maintaining this almost fictional purity of the hall. Yeah, well, right, right. Mythical, fictional purity. You know, uh, I, mean, I mean, like, like, who made that up? Nobody made, made, made. And 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 we said it before in this podcast, right? If you go back into the fifties and the, and even before that, if there was an edge, players would find a way to get it. Whether there was amphetamines, whether it was the red juice that Willie Mays supposedly had in there. Uh, I mean, McGuire, you know, later on admitted to doing androstenedione because it wasn't illegal. You know, this, so and yet he's not in the Hall of Fame. And I don't have a problem looking at guys like McGuire and Sosa and say, well, and they hit a lot of home runs. Now, now, Maybe they're not Hall of Famous for other reasons on the field. I'm okay with that kind of a conversation. I don't agree with it. but At the same time, I will say, it is, speaks to the list of players we have here for the greatest offensive seasons of all time that guys like McGuire and Sosa – in Cano, they don't show up on. Here. Actually, McGuire is on this list. He shows up for that. Yeah, one I season. think he has one season. I think. He was. Uh, yeah, yeah. And so did Sosa. Sosa right. sneaks on here too, but they only sneak on one. And you have guys like Barry Bonds. Steroids didn't make Barry Bonds put together like four of the greatest offensive seasons of all time. He didn't. They didn't make him hit all those home runs into McCovey Cove. You know, the idea that it, it like we can look at these players and somehow say the steroids were the reason for their success. It just feels like so short-sighted, especially. And he didn't do it clean. And, and also, it's just not as fun. I'd rather way talk about, like, let's talk about Barry Bonds' 2004 season in comparison to Aaron Judge's 2022, because it's and, fun. And Aaron Judge has, so I, I, A in New York came up with 16 seasons. This is not the definitive 16 greatest right, seasons. exactly. This, but, but they're good. They're, they're really good. It's so tough go to ahead. argue against it. Yeah, so it's like, let's start with Aaron Judge. So Aaron Judge hits 311 with a 425 on base and a 686 slugging. I think what was wild is I think Aaron Judge had a 680 slugging average every season this month, and I don't think Pete Alonso had one, one this right, entire right, season. Right, right. Which just speaks to how crazy good Judge was the entire year. He had 62 homers and drove in 131. He is the only reason the Yankees are in the playoff. And in comparison to his peers, right, who the the the, the second place home run. Uh, in baseball, right? No longer we won't go ALNO. Was Kyle Schwarber of the Phillies who hit 46 home runs? So blowing that out by more than 20 percent is super impressive in a year where home runs were clearly down. Right, exactly. That he was just still able to hit them at an incredible pace, despite no one else really being able to do that. And although he plays, does judge in a ballpark that is favorable to home run hitters, it's not favorable necessarily to right-handed home run hitters because it's pretty far out there in left center field to the Yankee. So Aaron Judge, being the smart guy he is, he just hits him out to right field. <laughs> I mean, so so he even was able to figure out that, you know what, if I take the ball the other way and I hit it hard, chances are it's going to go out. And, you know, it's interesting that you got to talk about learning to just go the other way with it because wasn't that a big thing with one of Ruth's? Or who was the guy that was playing? Like they didn't play in Yankee Stadium that way. Yeah. So so uh, Ruth and he has one of the seasons on here. So in 1921, uh, Ruth has one of these uh, greatest seasons. He went 378 batting average, 512 uh, on base, 846 uh, slugging with a 1.359 offs, 59 homers, 168 RBIs. Wow. Okay. I, I, the 168. When I see RBIs at 168, that just makes my eyes kind of pop. So that that is one of the best ever. Um, and he had, he had another year where he hit more home runs. What's interesting about that season is it wasn't in Yankee Stadium. So he got traded to the Yankees in 1920. Uh, and that those first couple seasons before they built 
the house that Ruth built, the Yankee Stadium, which opened in 1923, he played in the polo grounds, which was a whopping 258 feet down the line. So we don't have the ability to go back and look at fly. They didn't try yeah, this, they didn't, they this, didn't, this. They didn't do this, folks, back yeah, in 1921. They, they did not have every, like, the distance. Of, you know, where, where Ruth hit every home run that season. But his have. eyes must have got big like saucers when he came over from Fenway Park and saw that right field line. In fact, the Yankees loved it so much that when they built Yankee Stadium, they built it with the same exact dimensions as the polo grounds. Down, down at, at first, they changed it later on. But 258 down the right field line, 296 down the left field line. Mm. I mean, so Ruth is like, I'm just going to golf him up high and your chances are it's going to go out because that's not far i think i can hit a ball 258 feet right yeah <laughs> people would be the hardest part was you have to go the other way with it right right so you know that that's interesting how that season is sort of you know and and park adjustment will you know come into some of this i think right i think that's one of the interesting things because it's like what i really see when you look at this list what's really interesting about this list is you basically have this gulf so you have this explosion of guys from like 1920 to the mid-1930s that have all these unbelievable offensive seasons. Then that vanishes for like 50 years until the late 90s when you get Maguire, Sosa, and Bonds coming out to put these. Then it goes away again until Judge this year. And, and, and as we said, baseball was not, you know, ignorant to what was going on. The strike year in 94 uh, and 90, into 95, you know, fans, were down, fans were, were down on baseball. They weren't going to the park as much. And that home run race between – so you can't erase that this stuff happened. That home run race between Sosa and McGuire was fantastic. And, and really that was probably the most exciting that you had seen baseball in terms of an offensive season – so you had Ted Williams in 1941 having his 400 season, which if you look at the numbers from that season, it's unreal what he did. I mean, he hit 406. <laughs> yeah, and, and I, I I think, you know, he was batting like 401 going to the last day of the season, and he went six for eight in a doubleheader to take it to 406. That's a little different than the way we do That's things today. That's different. Yeah. <laughs> if a guy was hitting 400 in the last day of the season, they probably wouldn't let him into right. the ballpark. Jeff McNeil did not bat in the last game of this season and won the batting title, a little like Jose Reyes. <laughs> so he did that in 1941. You didn't have another offensive season at that marker until McGuire's 98 season. Right. 57 years. And, and by the way, just on Ted Williams in 1941, he didn't win the MVP. <laughs> that was a, that's a steal job right Joe there. DiMaggio won mm. the MVP. How <laughs> guys like I hit 400 and not win the MVP? That's ridiculous. So, so I, I was reading on Judge, you know, because I, I, I love this player. I mean, I, I just really did. So. We were literally having the conversation last night. If the Mets, uh, you know, the, the Mets bombed out of the playoffs, how do you fix the Mets? We're like, well, you throw $400 million yeah, and yeah. have Aaron come Judge on, Stevie. come center field. <laughs> let's, let's Aaron Judge. So you lose Nimmo and you put Aaron Judge out there and things look good. <laughs> Pretty good. I mean, you're just saying, okay, yeah, I'll take Lindor, Judge, not Alonso happen, in folks. the middle of the lineup every night. Yeah, that'll work out. Yeah, that's not happening. So some Aaron Judge stories. I was reading a, a good article uh, this morning um, about Judge. And so he, he's par- both his parents go to Fresno State. He's from up there in, in California, in Northern California. And so I guess he, he goes to, you know, he plays football and he plays wide receiver in football and he plays baseball. Six, seven and, and, guy. You'd and not and he goes for a tryout there and he's six, seven, 220 pounds. And he goes to Fresno state and hits like four balls. And they're like, let's, we need to offer him a scholarship right now. Don't, <laughs> don't let him leave the campus. Right. So he goes there. <laughs> don't let him go see the football team. <laughs> so, so they, apparently they, you know, they, they had workouts uh, at Fresno state that were flag football to try and get the guys conditioned and, and okay, what kind of condition does a six foot seven guy at two twenty he plays wide receiver. They play like nobody could catch him. He, he, he was like slippery. M- how do, how are you six there. foot seven and be slippery I mean, and you, all that? You've seen it where he, 
something that people were concerned about was what could he be a good fielder right. at that size and he's actually a pretty good fielder right right he's an adequate center fielder i wouldn't Which, call him great right. but the fact that he could even play center field and do that the is fact amazing that he could be a pretty good center fielder he's got a cannon for an arm which helps cover up a lot of the mistakes but it means you're like yeah i'll take my center fielder doing that if he's gonna hit like that so so judge um you know a couple of years into his uh uh college career he goes and plays in the cape cod league you know and we off on the east coast there's mythical stuff about the cape cod league and these summer things and terrible movies and anyway um he's he's in the cape cod league and he hits a line drive and the shortstop jumps and tries to get it and it goes over his glove and it goes over the fence so wait the shortstop jumped at a ball and it went over the fence i don't think i've ever seen a human being hit a line drive over the fence because he in in air, it's interesting that Judge comes up right around the time of the rise of the exit velocity metric. Right, right. That, like it almost like you needed a player like him for people to realize, oh, this is a valuable thing to track. Because we saw it last night. You hit the ball hard, good things will eventually happen in the game. If you're hitting the ball hard, you will find holes. You got to keep hitting it hard though, because sometimes it goes right to the other right. guys. But you have games like that. Martin Sterling Marte had one of those games last night. He hit like four balls rocketed these and guys keep catching it like machado <laughs> made like two plays at 30 at like a ripped yeah, line yeah. drive to center and then he had a deep fly ball that was just caught at the track and it's just like some nights you're just gonna make really good contact and that's like you have a guy like aaron judge who i think was in the 99th percentile for barrel percentage <laughs> and in the 100th percentile for exit velocity which basically tells you this guy hits the ball clean and hard as hell all the time well you bring up average exit velocity so some uh, percentile rankings for major league baseball this year uh, regarding Aaron Judge, who, by the way, is now six foot seven, two hundred eighty-two pounds, and I think we we kind of lose sight of the fact this is a two hundred eighty-two pound man who doesn't look. You don't realize how big he is until you see him next to other big people. Like I didn't think he was that big until I saw him standing next to Pete Alonso. Oh, and, little Pete! He looks Pete, so cute. Pete looks like a, like, a, like, a, like he looks like those photos where you see like the eighth grade girls yes. next to the eighth grade boys, where it's like here's this like five foot six like like young girl, and here's this like little tiny boy. Right. This is an Altuve. Right. Yeah. They had the picture of him in Altuve going, which, which is, is just kind of funny. Which is like you know, hey son, how are you you know doing today? So average exit velocity hundred. That means the top in the best. Uh, best in so 100 um weighted on base average 100 barrel percentage 100 maximum exit velocity uh 99 he fell down a little bit it's like o'neill cruz came in and uh, he would only hit tattoo extra ball. base average 99 uh hard hit balls 100 slugging 100 Based on this is the best in Major League Baseball in all these categories. The only thing he's not great at is he's got a terrible whiff rate. Right. He swings and misses Which, all the time. And he strikes out right. So his K rate, his whiff rate, his chase rate is high. Okay, which is go with a guy who strikes out a lot, right? You know? And it makes, but you know what? You probably want a guy who, with his metrics, to strike out a lot because it's way better for him to be swinging and missing all the time than not. Yeah, I think, what do you let in? Ops and Ops Plus. He almost won the Triple Crown, and we don't really even talk about that. He lost the batting title in the last week when he was trying to hit the home, the 60-second right. home he, run. He, he was, he was, yeah, not quite himself, and what a relief it was when he finally did that. Right. It so, would have been really painful if he had abandoned the Triple Crown to go for the home runs and get neither. So Yankee fans, I would think, and baseball folks were saying, hey, this, this is like one of the great offensive scenes to be able to be that dominant in so many hitting categories. Right. I mean, realistically, the most dominant uh, and, and it's funny because judge even talks about it the most dominant offensive season i think still belongs to bonds but it's not his 01 season right everybody goes back because he's 73 it's barry bonds's 04 season 
it is so insane when you start looking there. There's an incredible baseball video on I'm, I'm forgetting who makes it. It's on YouTube that goes into the absolute madness of Barry Bonds's 2004 season. We I, I think the entire premise of the video is that if Barry Bonds had just literally stood at the plate well, yeah, and never game. swung the bat. He would have had a worse on base percentage than what he did in the season, which is insane to think about. So we talk about his 2001 stats, and you know, obviously with the uh, 73 home runs, really sort of the the, the big thing there. And the, but he had a higher ops, as you point out, in 2004, 1.422 ops to compare to the one the paltry 1.379 in 2001. 3.62, pretty good. He had an 8.9, 8.12 slugging. That's pretty good. The thing that sticks out to me. And this is, uh, you know, uh, partially because he walked 232 times this season. He had a 609 on base. That means six out of ten times when he came up to the plate, he got on base. That's what? <laughs> and so, you know, you kind of go, well, he only had 45 home runs and 101 RBIs. 45 home runs in 373 at-bats. Yeah. I mean, teams literally, the only strategy they had to deal with Barry Bonds was to just not throw the baseball to him. His 1.422 ops is the highest single season mark. And it will never be broken. So, so I, I, and I, and I think on base plus slugging is a really easy stat if you really think about to understand and a great way to compare players. Right. Because on base is really good because it'll help because it helps you value out the guys like somebody like Joey Gallo. And other guys that can mash but don't have his eye because they'll have his slugging, but they won't have his on base. And so that's where OP, like that's where OPS is really good. And if you want a slightly more advanced version of that, OPS plus then normalizes it back against for the ballparks so you know. for the ballparks. And so you get like a, a much flatter number. And I think anything above a hundred is league average. And, and by the way, ballparks, you know. Where Barry Bonds played his career, and we can get deep in the weeds with this kind of stuff because they did all kinds of analysis. If he would have played his whole career in um, Colorado, okay, or or he had that 2001 season in Colorado, normalized for parks, he might have hit 95 home runs. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, (laughs) playing in the the San Francisco Stadium, McCovey Cove was not an easy place to hit home runs. There was a really funny thing when he was playing. I I remember McCovey Cove was where you hit the ball. Pac Bell Park was the Pac Bell Park, yeah. McCovey Cove was where you hit the ball. Like, they had the counter of home runs hit into McCovey Cove. And then they had the counter of home runs hit into McCovey Cove by everybody not named Barry Bonds. And it was like, it would be like 40 home runs in McCovey Cove. 38 of them were Barry Bonds. Like nobody else could hit the ball out. Remember there. the guys in the, in the, in the, in the canoes? It was regular. There They're still fight yeah. over the balls. And then. Guess what? They're still there. You just don't hear about it anymore like because people don't people do hit that. it there. So, so of the 16 great seasons, and we're going to talk some more of these, you know, um, Iron Judge has one of them. Babe Ruth has four. Um, and, and so it's really cool to con- compare this way. And I think it's interesting that he has four and Bonds has four. Bonds has three. Bonds has three. So Bonds. those two guys take up almost 50% right. of the list just on their own. Lou Gehrig has two. Which surprised me because I didn't realize he had the power that he did. Well, remember we had the conversation in an earlier podcast, and I said you were talking about well, I don't know about Lou Gehrig, and I'm like, yeah, how about the 184 RBI? Yeah, you know? like and you went, oh yeah, I'm wrong. This guy was like, like, it's unbelievable. Like, because whenever you hear about him, especially as a non-Yankee fan, you only kind of hear about the character and and the Iron Horse and the right. 2130 games well, played like, in a row, him, like which generally. 
if all you have to generally describe somebody is that he played a lot of games in a row, that's what you lead with. It probably means he wasn't that good a player. But you wouldn't say that defines Cal Ripken's career. No, no. Well, I mean, that's what a lot of people would, though. Right, right. But he was a great ball player but, that shouldn't. But that people happen to play that. But many people games. know that statistic more than how good he was statistically. I, I, and over time, I think Cal Ripken suffers more. Than, and and the same way you're saying Lou Gehrig does. Like I didn't realize how great the guy was. I just thought he played a long. I just because yeah, because it's like well, that's all anybody talks about. So he's just like okay, yeah, he just played a bunch of games in a row. By the way, if you're really good, you get to play a long time. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> Gary had two. Um, uh, Hack Wilson uh, had that 1930 season. There's a couple guys. I think Jimmy Fox, Jimmy Fox, Rogers Hornsby, Williams has that one season. McGuire and Sosa get one in that what each did, for the 2001. And, and it surprised season. me that guys like um, who was it that I expected to be on here from the 30s? Like you don't have guys like Al Kaline or some of those like these are 60s. 60. I'm trying to think of who the guy that the 30s I expected to be on here. Yeah, just you know, well, DiMaggio doesn't have. How about he's not one no of mantle. the greatest offense. No mantle. That's kind of interesting because you would have fought no Willie Mays no Hank Aaron mm-hmm. you know uh, that's kind of interesting that these guys are, are not that that doesn't mean they weren't great ball players these guys had singular seasons that across the board you, you don't make have even some of the, the you don't know no, no Ty Cobbs or anything some of those more you know older style baseball players that everybody talks about that none of those guys appear on here so I, I you know remember this is just AM New York's you know take on sixteen. I'm sure we could go and dig in and find another sixteen seasons that oh, would yeah. be you know in the little ballpark you know for that. But Aaron Judge you know is in a situation now where I, I think because he outperformed his peers by so much, it's going to be super- it, ele- it helps elevate his season because he was doing it at a time when nobody else was doing this. I think that's really important. And and for those that want to say he did it clean, well we think he did, right? I'm not casting aspersions here. Right, right. Who knows? Tomorrow we could find out that he's under suspicion for testing positive for using and, steroids. And no, we happen. don't think that's going to happen. But it's if, if it did happen, the problem for for Aaron Judge is that if it happens at any point in his career, you immediately cast doubt on all the rest of the seasons, and that's what Tatis is going to suffer from. Is that yes, he served his punishment. Yes, he's being tested, but people will always look at all of his future performance and think. Is he masking? Is he masking? Right. Is he figured out some way to do it? Because once you've done it once, it's hard not to think you'd do it again. And, you know, we were going to get into it, and I don't think we will. This, I mean, maybe we should talk about this another time because you look at Tatis, and we mentioned it in a prior podcast, just about how, you know, the the uh, Dominican Republic is rife with people that are getting dinged in the past few years for PEDs. In fact, 16 out of the last 20 players that were dinged for it are Dominican. So, you know, you start to think, okay, this is a problem there uh, that, that it, you know, has to be, you know, considered that, you know, what is, is, is causing this? And there are reasons for that. And like I said, we'll talk about it again. Um, I, I hope that Tatis never goes down that road again. Um, and, 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 and he's basically plays the rest of his career. And I don't think if he has the career that we all hope he does, that this hopefully bumping the road at age 23 um, is just going to be that. Is that, yeah. It's something that we forget. It's something that we don't think about. And we can just enjoy his career the rest of the way because that's what I want to do. So in, in the case of Aaron Judge, you know, now he's got to be thinking, um, number one, I'm going to make a lot of money. Uh- <laughs> he's like, yes, hi, who would like to bid for me this off season? Please raise your hand. I would like lots of money. And although he dispels the I bet on myself stuff, that's just one of the coolest thing about his season is that he didn't do a deal. And now the Yankees are between a rock and a hard place because what do you got to give Aaron Judge? And, and by the way, you pay shortstops, as we said, not all the shortstops are going to get paid or free agents this season. You pay shortstops more than you pay center fielders. 
you're not really going to have a $50 million outfielder per season. I don't, I don't see that coming. But I could see him getting between 30 and 40. Mm-hmm. I think it's really interesting season. that you've got Million. a couple big names on the free agent market this year because you've got the best pitcher probably and the best hitter available. And it's going to be really interesting to see what they both get when the guy that's both of them right. is then available next, next year. season. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Sho- I think Shohei Otani made a very good call. I, 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 staying I out of the market this year. Staying out of the market because there's not going to be enough money to go around with all of the – he becomes the only name you talk about in the following free agency because everybody's going to be like, well, how much money are you going to give to get him? You, you know, um, when Judge first came up, and you know, we all knew he was six foot seven. All I could think is uh, of that. You haven't seen too many hitters at six foot seven. Uh, you know, I remember Dave King was six six. He was a big, tall guy. Tony Clark, the yeah. the, the head of the MLB Players Association, six foot seven, nice ball player. But nobody who was that tall was ever this good. Well, it's, it's impressive because Judge has the highest percentage of missed calls against yes. him because the umpires just call him with a way bigger strike zone than they should because he's just so big. But wasn't it just last season? They were saying he was unfairly like they were calling strikes that weren't strikes, and this yeah. season they're saying they're not calling. Strikes no, 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 they are. That's what they're saying. This it continued this year that he has the like he on average has more non strikes called against him that are non strikes than any other player. He has a way, he has a deal with a way expanded because he's got a, a strike zone the size of Altuve. Right, ex- exactly. <laughs> so umpires make mistakes. So he also has to deal with the fact that generally he gets less pitches to deal with than everybody else because he gets more strikes called against him unfairly. And 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 he's it's amazing because you you would think in in old baseball standards like a guy six foot seven there's going to be holes in his switch. Right, because he's so big, it's going to be long. He's got a giant strike zone. There should be able to be some place. You, know, you think, gee, wouldn't Greg Maddox be able to find some place to throw the ball to Aaron Judge that he couldn't hit at three miles? I'm not so sure. I'm not so sure. Uh, no. So I, I think you know that that's another amazing thing is the height sometimes would be a, a deterrent to having success. And Aaron Judge has gone far past that. So uh, is it the greatest? Offensive season of all time. Do we need to have that superlative would be the first thing I'd, I'd ask. You know, do we need to have, you know, well, this is definitively the greatest season ever. It's the, greatest, it's the greatest offensive season until the next one. Yeah, exactly. Thanks for listening. Subscribe to our podcast on your favorite platform. And you can follow us on Twitter at Almost Hoops.